and welcome to Rules of the Frame. My name is Connor Reed. And my name is Riley Hardy. Yeah. And today we have another special guest with us, a Miss Claire Walters. Hi, I'm Claire. (laughs) Welcome, welcome. And she is here today to help us with our conversation about the great Disney animated film, Treasure Planet. Hopefully you've heard of it. Not many people... (laughs) talk about this movie but we're here to talk about it it is such uh an incredible addition to the disney franchise i think it's one of their best movies it's definitely one of my favorites so i'm really excited to talk about it with you guys yeah and i mean claire and i have talked about this movie many a time (laughs) before (laughs) we knew each other um what is that like six years about yeah yeah that's crazy yeah 2013 that's insane wow she's a fellow jbu student as well i'm a junior studying intercultural studies gonna graduate in may of 2020 super excited for that it's awesome we're glad to have your input on it and yeah Yeah. riley you want to start off with your synopsis let's do it i hope this isn't too long i I tried to cut this down but (laughs) i mean it's worth it you just go for it (laughs) all right Okay, so on the planet Montressor, Jim Hawkins is our main character, and he grew up reading about the legendary pirate captain Nathaniel Flint and just hearing about his hidden loot on the mysterious treasure planet. Twelve years later, Jim has been abandoned by his father when he was young, and so he's grown kind of into this aloof and troubled teenager. Uh, and nowadays, he can he spends his time riding his solar surfer that he built and helping his mom, Sarah, run the family business, which is a, a little inn. And then one day, a spaceship crashes on their property, and the pilot ends up dying, but his name is Billy Bones, and he gives Jim a sphere and tells him to beware of the cyborg. And then after this, uh, a gang of pirates, they raid and burn the inn, and Jim, along with his mother and their friend, Dr. Delbert Doppler, flee to the doctor's study, and it's there that they discover that the sphere is actually uh, a map. It's a holographic projector containing... A star map that leads to the location of treasure planet so they decide they're going to go and find this and so they hire a crew and uh, a ship called the rls legacy and they go on a mission to find treasure planet and the ship is commanded by captain amelia and her first mate mr arrow and uh, the crew that they've hired is secretly led by a half robot cook john silver so he's a cyborg and uh, the crew is secretly planning a rebellion but despite Jim's mistrust of Silver, because he heard of Beware the Cyborg, he still ends up forming kind of a father-son relationship with him. So as they get to Treasure Planet, Jim overhears the crew and discovers that Silver is leading this mutiny. And Jim, uh, the Doctor, Amelia, and Morph, which is a little... Uh, uh, Amorphous blob, <laughs> sort of alien thing. Uh, that can... Yeah, a little blob that uh, can morph into anything it wants to. So they escape the ship. Uh, but they actually leave the map behind. They thought that they had had it, but they didn't. Silver tries to kill Jim, but he hesitates because he didn't want to, because he's you know kind of developed a bond, and so he lets them escape. But the fugitives are shot down during their escape, which ends up hurting uh, Amelia, the captain. But while exploring the island, Jim meets uh, Ben, who is an abandoned robot who has lost his primary memory and can't really, he forgets lots of things. But he takes them into his shelter, uh, which turns out to be a back door into the planet itself. So yeah, using the back door, they uh, return to the ship to recover the map. And that's when Scroop, who is one of the crew members, he attacks them, but Jim overtakes him and ends up sending Scroop into space. So they get the map back, but when they return, Silver captures them, who had already captured Doppler and Amelia uh, as well. 
So Silver gets Jim to open the map, which takes them to the portal, which allows them to open any door on the planet uh, at will. And so uh, when they do this, they open the portal to the center of Treasure Planet, which is where all the treasure is. And there they discover that the planet's space station that was built forever ago uh, for Flint to store his treasure. They find the remains of Captain Flint, who is holding Ben's brain, part of his brain in his hand. And so they take that, put it back in, into Ben, and he remembers that the that treasure planet is rigged to blow if anyone comes back. And so they discover that, and the place begins to explode. So Silver tries to uh, escape on the boat with treasure, but he eventually has to let that go uh, in order for him to save Jim's life, because he's slipping and he doesn't want to let him fall. Uh, but they're able to escape the planet just in time. Um, before Silver leaves, he says goodbye to Jim and gives him some of the treasure to help his mom rebuild the inn. And then sometime later, they host a party, uh, and we see that Doppler and Amelia have married and they have children. And Jim has become a military cadet. And he looks into the skies and he sees an image of Silver in the clouds. And then we get that nice BB Mac. Yeah. Uh, well, always know where you are. Johnny Resnick recorded it in the for the credits. Oh, that's right. The movie version yeah. is Johnny Resnick. And then the soundtrack version is BB Mac. Mac. For some reason. I don't know why. Yeah. I mean, it's a good rendition. I like yeah, it. Yeah, it is. They're both good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I for my two words, I picked Transformed Hearts. Because I was always inspired by... Um, how much heart this movie had mm. and the relationship between the two main characters, Jim and Silver and just the transformations they go through are just really inspiring to watch. Um, just Jim as he heals from his wounds as a child from his father leaving him and Silver kind of filling that void for him. And then Silver kind of learning to, to, I mean, we don't really know much about his past, but obviously from the way he is, he's had a troubled past. And so, mm having uh, a son figure to kind of mentor, you can kind of see the effect on, on that in his life um, as he's able to let go of his treasure. I mean, he's able to do that, kind of get rid of that greedy self. Um, but yeah, I just loved the transformations the characters went through, and that's that really inspired me. Yeah, for my two words, I picked father-son that's the driving force of the movie for me. I mean, I love everything else about it as well. The sense of adventure, just the world it builds. But that's kind of what keeps on pulling me back is that relationship between Jim and Silver, which is strange because that's not really a theme that's in the movie or not, that's in the book of Treasure Island. It's because at the beginning of the the book, Jim has his father up until like right whenever they're about to leave for Treasure Island and his father dies of an illness. So it, he sees Silver as kind of like a new mentor, maybe, sort of companion. But the, you don't really get any of that father-son relationship. And I think that's a beautiful addition oh, to the film and oh, makes yeah. it really engaging. I almost picked those words, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I wonder when that's going to happen where we pick the, the same words. Oh, That'd be funny. it's going to happen sometime. <laughs> Let's dig into it then. So we we forgot to mention it before, but yes, this is uh, an adaptation of Robert Louis Stevenson's Treasure Island, which was one of my favorite books growing up. That was kind of the first first like classic literature novel that I read, and that really got me into okay. reading classic literature. Uh, I was never oh. never the type to read like kids books and all that. You know, I would just be sitting in the back reading like Jules Verne and H.G. Wells and like 
you know, I was that nerdy kid that <laughs> would just read like <laughs> all the books from the 1800s instead of the ones that had just come out. And this was actually my first introduction to the story because I had never seen, I've never read the book, book. Uh, I'd never seen the Disney movie and I had never seen the Muppets version of it. So, <laughs> <laughs> so this was my first intro all around, but I always loved this movie. Yeah. And mm. I don't, I'm not really exactly sure of everything they changed. Like I said, cause I haven't read the book, but, mm. um, I was always very inspired by it and mm. I always rank this one along with Tarzan as my two favorite, mm. uh, Disney movies. Yeah. So I'm anxious to kind of pick apart the differences from the novel and kind of see what definitely what, and, what things they left out and what things they added yeah and stuff like that and claire have you read uh the novel you know what i i tried to read it i think when i was a lot younger i know i bought it at uh barnes and noble whenever they were like releasing some of their like new covers and i was in love with the movie treasure planet and i think because it was such a classic and you know written back then and like i could i could read through a jules verne like i read through Twenty Thousand leagues under the sea which was rough with all the like sea life descriptions but i really loved the story and i i love jules verne and i love like the classics um but i think because of the movie i was like visualizing treasure planet while i was reading treasure island and um so <laughs> like you know the character ben was a robot who <laughs> didn't have his memory so um i i think i did finish it eventually but it's it's pretty foggy i only read it the one time because i did love the movie so much and so i was like well this isn't like the movie <laughs> but um no i i do remember really enjoying like the, the opening of the book um, just because it, it was different from the movie and it just felt like Jim was a totally different character um, in the way that he, cause he was much younger in the book and he did have like a loving family. So to me that was like different enough. But then once we got into like the actual story of the book, I was like, wait a minute, I know this. <laughs> I got to reread it again just for, for this episode. I mean, I, I've been meaning to reread it for years and years and years, and I was like, oh, now it's the perfect excuse to do that. How and, long is it? Is it a pretty quick read? Uh, yeah, I read it in like two, three days or so. It's about like 270 pages or something like that. Like, okay. Well, not too bad. Um, still pretty fast reading. <laughs> At least yeah, for me. I just, I just love this book. Like as soon as I picked it up, I was like, oh, I remember this, you know, and just kind of getting sucked back into it again. And I really think that this, the book and the movie – sparked a lot of the sense of adventure in me and just kind of like wanting to go out and have these grand days out and fight pirates and go find treasure and sail the seas and all of that. I think a lot of that stemmed from this. And I think it also um, attributed to my love of sci-fi and just like space exploration and all of that. Like it's just a great amalgamation of two of my favorite things, sci-fi and nautical stuff. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Can't get any better than that. <laughs> yeah. Like when they engage the artificial gravity on the ship. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. It's like, so wow, good. Do that? I love awesome. that, like, at the beginning, Doppler is the only one who's, like, wearing any protective space gear. And, like, everyone else is just like, nah, we're good. <laughs> we're fine. Oh, uh, Doppler. He's a great character. He's, he's amazing. Oh, no, David Hyde Pierce. You gotta love him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so good. It took me a while to, like, separate. I just quit thinking about Niles. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> From Frasier. Frasier. <laughs> And I had the same problem with, well, not so much with A Bug's Life, I guess, because yeah. I'd seen that first. But, well, I'd seen Treasure Planet first, too. But mm. I don't know. After watching Frasier for so long, it's like once you hear that voice, it's hard to. Oh, I know. <laughs> to Dang it, Jim. That. I'm I'm not a doctor. I'm a doctor. <laughs> I'm not that kind of doctor. You can't do anything, and you're useless. <laughs> you're useless. <laughs> 
Oh, that's great. He has some of the best lines in the film. I know that like Ben and Morph were supposed to be the more like comedic characters, but honestly, like Doppler to me is one of the best characters because of like, I mean, I know Silver like portrays the main father figure to Jim, but Doppler was always there. Like he was always kind of like the weird uncle, you know, <laughs> mm. from the very beginning. And I've always loved his character and just how like, um, like he tells Sarah that Jim should go to space, mostly because Doppler wants to go and he wants to like explore. But also like it was for Jim's own good. And I, I've always loved that relationship. Yeah, he was kind of the catalyst for all of it. I mean, he, you know, persuaded his mom and... Uh... And he had the money. He was the financier. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I love I love the kind of slow build of their relationship, too, because you can tell, like you said, it was kind of like a almost father-son sort of thing, but he, I don't think he had quite the intentionality that Silver has in it. But it's he's kind of getting to this phase of trying to figure out how to interact with Jim as like a teenager. And whenever, I love the scene whenever they're getting mm-hmm. off and they're like, oh, this is going to be some good bonding for the two of us. And you know what they say, familiarity breeds... Well, contempt, but you know, well, so. But in our case. <laughs> yeah. I also love how he almost calls Jim a felon. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> felon. Fellow. Fellow. Like Jim. <laughs> and that's um, another kind of insight into their relationship is, yeah, there's, he definitely hasn't been as close as he could have been. or mm-hmm. Definitely not as blatant of a father-son relationship, but gosh, what a great character. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they have really good comedic relief in this. And I, I do like how it kind oh, of yeah. switches back and forth between him and Ben and Morph. And it never really feels like one is trying to, like, overcome the other. Like, they're all their kind of different senses of humor. While, like, uh, Ben is more on, like, just kind of the ridiculous, like, Martin Short. Yeah, um, just you know, screaming. And yeah. Just laughing from his voice. Yeah, Like, I, I laughed so hard at the part whenever he's like, I think he suffered from mood swings, but I'm no therapist. You let me know when I'm rambling. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it when he's in his house and he's like, "Sorry about the terrible mess." You know, when you're batching, when you're batching it, <laughs> you tend to tend to let things go. <laughs> I so relate to that. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. That's your little yeah. cove. That's right. <laughs> yep. Yep. Oh man, he's got like cups of oil and wrenches. Yeah. Like a, it's like who like knows bar what? drinks. Yeah, just like tossing yeah. stuff behind like furniture. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that was funny. But you can tell like they they really develop the characters around the actors as well, and I think that's I mean that's how you make a really good comedic character is if it's not just like their own separate entity. Like yes, it is a character, but of course there's going to be pieces of David Hyde Pierce and of Martin Short in it as well, and. I think, yeah. you know, if you don't take that into account, then it's just going to be weird. And it's like, oh, it doesn't really seem to fit with either one. And I think that's why it's so good. And yeah. uh, Pixar does that really well, too. Like, also with David Hyde Pierce's voice um, in A Bug's Life. You know, his character is very distinguishable. But there's kind of always the little bit of primness that David Hyde Pierce has, you know, in, in his acting style. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and no, I think casting was, they did phenomenal with casting. Joseph Gordon-Levitt, this was his first role. Or voice acting role. Voice acting, yeah. Um, yeah, voice acting. And, man, he was fantastic. He, his voice just had kind of a... Um, wasn't super confident most of the time. It had kind of a kind of sense, maybe a lack of confidence in some yeah. of the lines. But It, it had that um, good it, teenage angst. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, yeah, that's one of the things I loved about this movie when I first saw it was just kind of the coolness of that character. Mm-hmm. I think Jim, just the way he was portrayed, maybe it was the, cool, maybe it was the wacky haircut. <laughs> just, just screams that I'm a rebel, you know. Yeah, something like that. Um, oh man, the 
the the scene the our intro to the character when he's surfing like mm-hmm. that was just i was like oh my gosh i want to do that so bad yes <laughs> yes yeah, i'm definitely. just like it was literally the coolest thing i had ever seen when i was watching that mm-hmm. i mean well it's such a know. good introduction to the character because it shows like i don't know just like his free spirit but also i don't know just his skill his yeah smarts, his skill you know? yeah he's super intelligent and like you hear his mom talking about it later like how he's like this technical kind of genius almost like he built his first i think solar surfer is what they're called he built his first mm-hmm. one when he was eight you know and he's just been improving on the skill which we see come back later at the end of the film but like i don't know just that introduction to the character and just like how he's you know kind of letting his stress out almost and like where he finds his freedom since he's like ah, man i was watching the beginning of the movie the other day and it's like he's he's on parole right now kind of mm. um like he's been yeah kind of in juvie almost and you know he's got these limitations on him and then just the soundtrack behind it in that opening scene like you just you really get such a good sense for the character the angles they get when he's flying i mean i just love it when he soars up into the air and then he like lets it go and he's just like falling and just when he's flipping around i was like that is you have like you haven't seen that in an animated movie just the no. way that was constructed yeah. you know that and, was crazy yeah it was ridiculous yeah i remember seeing that in theaters and just like Or seeing it in the trailer first and just like my mind being blown. I'm like, I've never seen anything like that before. Mm Because it's something, I mean, maybe you could get in live action if you like rehearse it over and over and over again. But it's still, it was like, I'd never seen anything like that. Just like the camera moving so fluidly or quote unquote camera moving with the character. And yeah, it was just revolutionary to me that you could do something like that. Mm Mm-hmm. It's just, it, it screamed like free spirited, but also like completely in control at the same time. Mm-hmm. Like just as he barely uh, lets his sail up, like when he's going real low on the ground and he's like yelling, I'm just, oh, it's a great moment. There's some amazing action scenes like that in this movie. Just, and even like the, the climactic one where he's on his like self-made, you know, gun skateboard thing. And mm-hmm. that scene is just amazing when he's like zipping through like all of the the building structure is just kind of like popping up right, when and when popping he's up. Yeah. Yeah. When he falls down into the crevice and is like slamming the board against the side and just rockets up. I mean, that scene is amazing. I think they did really good with his character. And this is kind of um, a deviation from the book where they, they gave him more care or more of a modern character in a sense, because treasure Island's Jim, you know, he's endearing, but he doesn't kind of have like uh, kind of the emotional side to him as well, you know, because he is just, you know, he's just this kid who's kind of along for the ride as well. And you do empathize with him and you root for him uh, and he's very brave and stoic. But I I think there's a good vulnerability to Jim's character in this because they give him they make him a teenager and they make him moody. And I honestly think that this is like one of the most relatable Disney characters. Like yes. I just remember connecting so much with it as a kid and then mm-hmm. even revisiting this movie as a teenager, I'm like, yeah, he gets it. You know, like mm-hmm. my angsty side was relating to his angsty side <laughs> as well. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, I just love how they show like the way his father left when he was a kid. I mean, that was a really emotional and powerful moment. And uh, I mean, and I can relate to it, not because my dad left or anything. My dad's still around, but <laughs> um, but I think everyone can relate to that just because we all have things in our life that happen, maybe certain things we missed out on in our youth or things we had to do without or uh, or just people that left maybe that we didn't want to leave. but And it's affected us in a way really deeply. And 
And so I feel like that's actually a really relatable aspect of the character. Yeah. Really moving, moving sequence. Mm. Love a good montage. Yeah. <laughs> good montage music, too. I mean, Johnny Resnick's oh, I'm Still Here is amazing. Like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. That was like, <laughs> I mean, I loved the Goo Goo Dolls as a teenager, but that song was just like, my anthem like whenever i was just Mm -hmm. like i'm so misunderstood like put in those headphones and just like (laughs) (laughs) just blast that song and it was like yeah you know this is you know that's it Mm -hmm. and i I think that is like a song that like so many people can relate to like at least in their you know their teenage years specifically but like it's a song that like shows the total growth of the character you know in in a good quality montage you know as one does but (laughs) you know it's it's such a good way to like get a better feel for the character and you're like you're seeing his character arc just like unfold you know right in front of your eyes and it's just it's such a brilliant way to do it Mm -hmm. yeah whenever you need to feel pumped up about yourself watch that scene (laughs) or i mean my favorite quote in this movie and possibly my favorite quote in any movie i've ever seen is when silver is talking to to jim and he tells him now you listen to me james hawkins you got the makings of greatness in you, but you got to take the helm and chart your course. Stick to it, no matter the squalls. And when the time comes, you get the chance to really test the cut of your sails and show what you're made of. Well, I hope I'm there, catching some of the light coming off you that day. Mm. I just love that. I get chills every time I hear that. Yeah. Um, it's just so eloquent and so it's totally what Jim needed to hear in that moment because he's he absolutely has greatness in him and he's he just needs to someone tell him that (laughs) right he just needs to hear it i mean that scene just always gets me and i think maybe the last time i had watched this before i rewatched it again last night uh was riley i think whenever we watched it our freshman year of college right right whenever Mm -hmm. winter break was starting and we like did this back to back with tarzan that was amazing so i think that was maybe the last time i've seen it and just kind of the impact of that hit me and um, man, I that scene just like had me in tears. Like mm-hmm. it, it always gets me. But this time, like especially, I was just like really feeling it and just like yeah. relating to it so much of just like oh man, you know, just wanting that figure. And I, I think that that has always been just something that's been very strong and present in my life as well. And you know, like my, my dad is still around too, and I love my dad so much. Like. You know, he's like one of my best friends and mm-hmm. it's just it, whenever I was a kid, he would travel around a lot and he'd be gone quite often. And so there's like I never, never for once thought that he would leave us. But there's always just like the question of like, oh, will he come back? Like, will something happen? Right, and like, I especially him, yeah. remember him being on this really long trip to Russia and like watching this movie. And it just kind of like that scene in like from the montage on to Jim's breaking down and, you know, crying on Silver's mm-hmm. uh, sh- stomach, that that just, like, really got me and, like, really feeling that connection to it. And so that scene has just always really been an emotional climax for me. I just love how they almost, like, they almost trick you because they almost think that Silver is going to go off and not let Jim come. And at mm-hmm. the very last moment, he like he's like, come on, let's go. And then they yes. go chase that, that uh, comet or whatever. Oh, it just gives me chills. I love it. And Silver's character is amazing, too. Uh, Just the dynamicism of it, where he could just be this, like, rough-and-tumble scalawag that's just always kind of evil, but they really give him this good, appealing side to him. Like, he's, like, one of the most charismatic animated characters I've ever seen. I just... Mm -hmm. Every scene that he's in, 
I just love and I'm invigorated and just like captured by it and his performance in it and where he's like so charming but so dastardly as well is is awesome like I think it's like 90% voice acting work too he did it was mm. incredible like and I had never heard, heard that actor before I'm not sure who it is yeah he played a really good pirate I, mm. I loved uh, I loved that uh, performance and they you they even let you empathize with him a bit whenever they get back from like the end of the montage and Jim looks over at him and is like you know how did that happen? Like mm. to mentioning his cyborg parts, and it's just you, you give up some, a few things. You give up a few things, a chasing a dream. Yeah, and that scene is just, oh man. And so you're like, oh, I want him to get the treasure now. <laughs> yeah. Then he asked him, he's like, was it worth it? He's like, I'm hoping it is. <laughs> Sometimes it takes a while to to get your payoff. You know. Yeah, and I think it's interesting because, like, whenever they do reveal him as the villain, which you've kind of known the whole time, you know, because there's, like, mm-hmm. those moments where, like, the music changes and he, like, turns his head and right. he's like, yo, you're going soft. Like, even when he does make that reveal, like, you don't hate him for it because you're, like, you, you've you grown to love this character and you do empathize with him. You know, it's not like a, a sudden shift in his character where all of a sudden it's like, oh, now he's the worst person ever. Like, because you have that background and that history, you're kind of like, oh, you know, I kind of get it. Like, it, it still stinks that you're betraying, you know, this kid that you've taken under your wing. But, like, you kind of get it. Right. And that just the way they interact with each other, you're like, there's no way he's faking this. Like, this is genuine. They're having a genuine connection right here. And you kind of just think, eh, he's just fooling the others. He's fooling his own crew. You know, right. he's like, what he has with Jim is real. It's like, that's what you really want to think and what you kind of do think, you know. But he still stays true to his character, even in the end, you know, of, you know, he has the greediness and just kind of like the backstabbing nature of it. But because Jim has become so special to him, that's like his one exception, I feel like he's still a pretty bad person, you know, <laughs> like he's, he's still an awful pirate, but you kind of love him and you you're fine with him getting away instead of him dying or getting locked up or anything. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's what I love about the, the conclusion is like he doesn't stay and face his crimes. Like Connor said, he, he stays true to his character and he does run away and he is who he is. And I think that's really awesome. And I love that he gets away and I love that he's not forgiven by the public and like all the people he's wronged, but he gets away. And that's right. what he does. He he looks after himself, but at the same time, he's got that that closeness with closeness with Jim, you know, and it's just, I, I love his character. He's so great. Yeah, and I think he's got a changed heart after that. Uh, you know, I think that affected him for life i mean i think he's a changed person Mm. a changed cyborg (laughs) yeah it's interesting too that they made him a cyborg which i think is brilliant but you see it it, his um mechanized side is more of like an asset than a hindrance Mm. which in the book you know john silver not having a leg is very much a hindrance where he's not able to do a lot of these things and has to ask for help and but instead John Silver and Treasure Planet is just awesome because he can pull a gun out of his arm or a cutlass yeah. or like cook food and or he has chop a burner, up yeah, yeah, <laughs> or just a gun or he has it's everything. Crazy. There. He's a Swiss Army man, yeah, <laughs> Mister uh, Go Go Gadget, yeah, yeah, yeah. But in Treasure yeah. Island, he's much more uh, menacing character. You just see these really dark sides of him. I mean, there's this scene whenever Jim is spying on him when they're on Treasure Island, and one of his buccaneers is like turning on him and he's walking away and John Silver just like reaches over and picks up this log and throws it at him and uh, breaks his back and then like runs over and like stabs him like five times in the chest and then you know it's like all right back to business so you see a much darker side of him he's kind of ruthless yeah Mm -hmm. 
but he's still kind of lovable too because he always has this you know he has his feet in both boats and you know if one is sinking he'll jump into the other one and he's much more mm-hmm. conniving i love seeing how how jim always accepted the challenge that that silver threw at him you know like whether it be washing the pots like he cleaned all of them like he fell asleep cleaned the pot and uh it's just scrubbing the deck i love him. he was just like it was just kind of a I don't want to say F you moment, but it was like a, I'm getting back at you because I'm going to do this even better. Yeah, you know? oh, yeah. there's definite defiance and, uh, in everything he does. And he's like, well, I'm going to do it the best yeah. I possibly can. So screw you. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because Silver was giving him what he needed, you know? He needed that, mm-hmm. Some tough that strictness love. and that. Yeah, he needed a, to be on a tight ship like that. Mm. Well, and that's what I love about the adult characters that they introduce throughout the film. Because, like, you have Captain Amelia, you have Mr. Arrow, you have Dr. Doppler, you have Silver. And they're all, like, the role models that Jim needs. You know, you have, like, the strictness and you have, like, the lovingness through it all. And so I just, mm. I love the adult characters because, yeah, there is some comedy in there and it's really good. But at the same time, there is a seriousness to it. And they're, like, they are the keys that Jim needs to, like, get out of his slump and, you know, come into who he is and become a man. I think Captain Amelia is one of the most well animated characters I've seen in a long time too. Like they just mm. do so well of bringing her personality into the character. It's, you know, very well acted through that. I mean, Emma Thompson's voice is also just amazing too. But just kind of integrating the feline nature or feline her characteristics, yes, <laughs> into her. Like one of my favorite scenes of her is whenever they're in her cabin and they like throw her the map and like she has like this these stern like half closed eyes and then whenever she like looks at it it's like very much like a cat like eyeing a toy and just like the <laughs> eyes grow really big and just very expressionist and like her ears like perk up and all of that and it's just awesome like it's, that's great <laughs> animation yeah i didn't notice some of those things but yeah just her jumping around the masts and stuff very cat like and yeah. even the way she like carries herself the properness which really adds to with um emma thompson's voice of just having this properness as well and like you know her lips are always like kind of like pursed and very taut and like you know she always stands like straight up and just like walks very gracefully but with like this power behind it as well and yeah it's it's a great job one of the reasons why this movie captivated me so much as a kid too was just because it was unlike anything i'd ever seen and I mean, of course, I was really young when I, this came out. I think I was like seven when I saw it. And uh, yeah, it still was just uh, like I had still seen like Star Wars and all of that. And I mean, that was amazing, too. I thought that was the greatest thing ever. But I also thought this was the greatest thing ever, too. Just it was unlike, <laughs> There's lots of greatest things ever when you're seven years old. There's of course. Of, of course. Yeah. yeah. You can't have more like just one, you know. No, of course not. <laughs> uh, but this is such an interesting view of the future or different galaxy entirely. And it was really unlike anything I'd ever seen. And in a way it's almost like a turn on like steampunk where steampunk is, you know, just kind of very Mm -hmm. gear and cog centered version of the Victorian era. This is much more, yeah, Victorian, (laughs) like Victorian proper. Right. And Mm -hmm. naval and all that. Yeah, I mean, just as they were designing this movie, they had a rule, the 70-30 rule. So they wanted mm-hmm. 70% of all aesthetics to be rooted in the the Victorian, the uh, that era. Of, 1800s, yeah. Uh, 1800s, yeah. And then 30%, they wanted it to be, you know, sci-fi, space, which I think is a perfect blend. <laughs> you yeah. know? It's like, you don't want 
half and half wouldn't be good. That'd be just that'd be too much sci-fi. You know, it's like 30, 70, 30. That, that's good. But you can just see that in every aspect of the movie, like even in Silver's body. You know, it's, it's seventy thirty. It's like thirty percent technology. You know, just mm. they transferred that into lots of different facets of the movie. But yeah, incredible design design work in mm-hmm. this film. It took him a long time to make it. Right. Yeah. It was like a 10-year process, and I think a lot of that, you know, is just the directors being able to ruminate on, like, okay, what is this world going to be like? What is it going to look like? What are the physics of it? And, you know, how will everything work? And I like that they don't ever make it seem like everything is just, like, too clunky and all that. Like, it's still good technology it's like the characters who screw up it's not the technology and it's not saying like oh this 1800 stuff is just getting in the way no it's everything is very firmly rooted in the world and if anything messes up it's because like people don't adhere to the rules of it or yes like the guns it it looks like a flintlock pistol which doesn't really make any sense if you're shooting a laser gun you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) and so but it's just a cool touch you know it just makes it have that feel yeah that's what I want spaceships to look like in the future. Like, I'd much rather fly through space on that than, you know, yeah. some little capsule. With solar sails? Yeah. yeah. I mean, by the way, that looked incredible. Just the way the little grids as they lit up as they were being charged. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, that looks so cool. I have always loved the design of the movie. Like, I'm a big fan of steampunk. The whole just, like, pirates in space thing was just super appealing I mean, like you guys talked about with the guns and, you know, shooting lasers out of these, you know, 1800 style pistols. Like, I mean, it's insane. But it, I think with the like the did you call it the 70 30 rule? It mm-hmm. it fits, you know, and it I felt like just watching the movie, like I never felt like anything was out of place. And, you know, granted, I was young when I watched it for the first time. And now, you know, I'm such a diehard fan of the movie that I'm like, oh, nothing's <laughs> wrong with it. It's beautiful. Right. It's perfect. Um, yeah. I mean, it just it feels like everything belongs, you know, right where it is. Um, you know, you have mm-hmm. the ships and they're like these, um, what do you call the ships? Uh, a schooner. Yeah, like a schooner. But it's, you know, flying through space. And you're like, oh, yeah, that's that's totally normal. You know, and you've got whales in space. And you're just like, yeah, yeah, totally. Why wouldn't By you have way, whales I, in space? I hated the whales in this movie, to be honest. <laughs> really? The, the, they didn't look very well animated. I don't know. It, it seemed pretty rough. Yeah. Yeah. But. I mean, one thing that Connor and I were talking about earlier was just like the combination of traditional animation and 3D animation and what a difference that makes in the movie Mm -hmm. because I believe Ben is fully 3D animated and Silver's Mm -hmm. arm is 3D animated, but then you're you're putting that on top of 2D animation and that in itself is just like really bizarre looking coming off of all the traditionally drawn Disney films. Mm -hmm. So, but like still, like in my personal opinion... It, it feels right for that movie. Like, just the feel of that movie, everything just kind of falls into place. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, while we're on that track, like, this is one of those movies that falls within that really brief period of time where we have the mix of those forms. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's probably, I'm trying to think of the earliest movies that had that, but yeah, it's only like maybe a 10-year period or so. It, it kind of got if revolutionary that. and got started with Beauty and the Beast because they had um, right. like the 3D sets in it that they would use, and mm-hmm. so that like allowed them the to get, yeah, get like good camera angles, and and so that was kind of the the starting point of it, where they're like, oh, okay, this is a good way to make it kind of more action oriented and um, allow you to do cooler things with the digital camera. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but this this movie really was insane because it had. 
yeah, it had the 3D animation, it had 2D animation, and then the deep canvas, which mm-hmm. was a, mm-hmm. another type of... It was how they had a 3D environment and 2D characters within that. But they had all three of those things in the same scene. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, which is nuts. <laughs> <laughs> Can't imagine the render time. No. I mean, just putting all that together is crazy. Like, I think about the scene when Jim is asking Silver about bones, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like they're in his little kitchen, which is a 3D set. Um, I think I remember watching special features where they could... Like, it's a 3D set. Like, you could look at the camera around and see everything. Yeah. And so they have Jim in there, 2D character, uh, and then Silver, a 2D slash 3D character. There's just, like, a mix and match of, of everything, and it's really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of the action scenes remind me a lot of Tarzan, actually, because that mm-hmm. also used deep canvas as well for yep. all of the tree surfing scenes in there which gave it Mm -hmm. that fluidity that if they didn't have that you wouldn't be able to do with animation or it'd be really really hard and just take forever to do and oh yeah it gives that smoothness to it yeah tarzan i think was the first one that had that yeah they developed it it's it's proprietary for disney so no other studio had that Mm -hmm. at the time yeah was it just tarzan and treasure planet that used deep canvas uh surely not surely there's some after that that used it I can't right. think of what it would be. Maybe Princess and the Frog. Um, well, what about Atlantis? Because yeah. that also has a lot of like that three D technology within the film. Yeah, kind maybe like... Atlantis. Atlantis. Maybe yeah, so. Yeah, but it was. Yeah, it wasn't very long though. I mean, yeah, maybe it's just three or four movies. I'm trying to think of what else it would be. I'm not sure. Yeah, because um, sometimes it's just so subtle as like, just kind of like a background, so that way it gives um, the camera access to move around more. So. I love it. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite things about the mixture of the 2D and 3D animation in this is uh, the use of Ben, where he is very much, I mean, he's a 3D animated character, but they animate him very much in the cartoonish style of like classic 2D animation, where he kind of has, you know, his eyes shooting out everywhere and these pieces just mm-hmm. kind of flying out, which you really don't see in 3D animation. It's uh, mostly, you know, solidified characteristics and very grounded animation and so right there's like that that brief period where you know or there's like certain films where they have that where they do like this like elasticity and squash and stretch principle mm-hmm. to these 3d characters that isn't really applied so much anymore like i think specifically the scene where the lights go out on ben but you can see his eyes and they're like looking around mm-hmm. and just just the you know the way they did that it's like you would have thought that was a 3d character mm-hmm. i don't know that was just the way they were moving, you know? Right, right. And they, I mean, they paint him very well to make it uh, seem like he's actually in the 2D environment as well. Like, And that's, I yep. mean, just the advantage of the deep canvas where you have that 3D image and then you paint over it so that it, it fits with the background or just like the color palette of the rest of the 2D animation. So that's why it doesn't really stick out like a sore, sore thumb. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there's a couple things in here where you look at it and you're like, wow, that's like really... CG, like you said, the whales are kind of the yeah. big one I think about is whenever they get to the the center of Treasure Planet and it does that big pullout and it goes from like the really up close detailed like coins and jewels and all that and it pulls all the way back out and it's just kind of this big golden orb that doesn't have like a whole mm-hmm. lot of features to it. And so it's things like that where you're like, okay, you can see a bit more of it. But for the most part, I feel like they did a fantastic job of masking it into the rest of the frame. So you didn't like that scene, the shot where they pulled out 
and kind of gave you that broader view. I'm not saying I didn't like it. Like I thought it was cool that you could see like the Lancers going from the surface to like the center of the orb. Like I thought that was really cool, but just like, uh, just like the flatness of the gold and all that. I was like, Oh, you know, that's really, that just really stands out from the rest of it. Right. That's what you're saying. But my, probably my favorite, well, I don't know if it's my favorite shot because I love the surfing stuff and all of the yeah, um, the one. shots where you have the profile of Jim and there's like the stars behind him while he's on the um, the forecastle and all that. But uh, I love whenever you're in the in Dr. Doppler's study and it kind of pushes through the window and you get to the Montressor spaceport and like you see mm. all the ships flying around. That is just an amazing visual. And I think mm-hmm. they said that took them two years to get that shot done. I love that because it's like, what an uh, inefficient way to design a spaceport. Like, who cares because it looks awesome, you know? Yeah, it looks amazing. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't make any sense. But, yeah, it looks really cool. And I remember, like, seeing that at the start of the teaser trailer on some VHS I was watching as a kid. And I was just like, why is there just a shot of the moon? Just that slow yeah. push in. And you're like oh, it's a spaceport and there's like all these yeah. ships flying around. <laughs> this is the coolest thing. Yeah. So they tricked you. Yeah. Is there anything else about the animation? Uh, the color palette was... is fantastic in this movie. and Yeah. I watched... Very purple. Uh, yeah, the film with uh, commentary. And so the director said, you know, they purposely tried to steer away from the, using the color green and keeping that as used for treasure planet alone because you really don't see much green until you get there and then there's like all the fungi and like kind of the mossiness of it and uh mm-hmm. but yeah there's a lot of blues and purples and then sometimes like some oranges as well but mm-hmm. it was really interesting it just seemed to kind of stray away from a lot of um color palettes that a lot of disney films would kind of stick to and i mean there's always scenes of like blue and purple where like characters would look up at the sky but i feel like it wasn't really centered around it as much as this one is mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and did you notice how, like, even the color palette of Jim himself, he was wearing, like, a dark jacket in the beginning, like a black jacket, mm-hmm. Then eventually he was wearing, like, a tan shirt or something, mm-hmm. and then at the very end, he's dressed in white in that in that uniform, so he kind of goes from dark to light throughout the movie, which I thought was interesting, and I didn't, uh, I didn't notice that, but I read that earlier today. I was like, that's mm-hmm. pretty cool. Never noticed yeah. that before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, this film also just has some of the most spectacular backgrounds I've seen in animated films as well, especially when you get to Treasure Island and there's all those shots like of um, them in like the fungus forest. And it's just like this very deep and detailed, you know, portrait that's kind of behind them or like whenever they're uh, flying around searching or following the trail to the gateway on Treasure Planet and you see like these centipede like trees just like weaving themselves through everything and it's just like oh there's so many cool things and i mean just space like all the stars look incredible and yeah there's just so much good animation in this uh i just get sad when i every time i think about how we don't have 2d animation i just get sad yeah it's just so sad but there's stuff like you know secret of kells and song of the sea you know they're keeping up 2D animation. Yeah. Those were good. I liked them. Mm-hmm. Mm, I, w- I want... I don't know. Disney just... I can't believe Disney abandoned it, you know? It's yeah. like... They were the pioneers of it, and they abandoned the art form. It's really sad. 
Mm-hmm. Well, and even when they went back to like uh, Princess and the Frog, mm-hmm. I don't know. It felt like it was like I liked the Princess and the Frog. Like, don't get me wrong, but the animation just kind of felt off. Like they had strayed too far, and like they mm. they didn't quite get back to what you know the original like golden age of two D animation was. Um, mm. And it was still a good film, and I really liked the animation in it, and I I liked that they were like trying to go back, you know. But they they kind of like talked it up so much. That it was like kind of like oh yeah this is okay, and I haven't seen that so I don't really have an opinion mm-hmm. on the movie itself. But yeah, um, I mean I've seen clips of it and I kind of think the same thing where it almost seems like it's too fluid and like mm-hmm. doesn't really have I, I don't know the more like grittiness that kind of Disney animation has, which is a weird way of putting it, but there is kind of mm-hmm. just this staggering where you can tell you know they really base themselves off of like you know Frank and Ollie's twelve principles of animation and so mm-hmm. much is derived from that and I just from what I've seen of Princess and the Frog, they almost try to make it make it like a three D move or three D animated film in a two D mm-hmm. um dimension. Yeah, like maybe 2D. almost too refined. Like it needs yes. to be a little more unrefined. Mm-hmm. Or a little less refined. Yeah. Yes. By the way, is the Secret of Kells studio, are they doing another movie? They are. Something. I think it's called like the Wolf Walkers or something like that. It looks awesome. Okay. Well, they did Breadwinner not too long ago, which I still haven't seen that yet, but it looks awesome. Mm. Should we talk about James Newton Howard? Oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> this film, to me, was actually really important, I, I say, in my filmmaking career, just because this was the first movie where I actually noticed the music. Like, I actually noticed the score mm. watching the movie in theaters and just, like, listening to it and realizing that it was a character all on its own and just, like, having it stuck in my head afterwards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, it's great. A lot of good themes in it. I just love the opening theme when we're seeing the stars and the Ethereum, you mm-hmm. know, and just that flute, or whatever instrument. Uh, mm-hmm. I think um, it starts off on a, a fiddle, actually, like just the solo on the fiddle. That's what it is. You're right. Yeah. But one... then they have, at one point, they later on a, a flute on there. Yes. I don't remember mm-hmm. when that was. But um, yeah, I love the music. Very feels kind of magical yeah uh, it fits the world so well like um it has the strings and like everything needed to make like a seafaring adventure but it also has like the electric guitar and uh the tin whistle like you were saying like mm-hmm. it has all these elements that just like build it up and make it fit the world so perfectly and just like the intensity but then also just like the softer moments like whenever um jim is crying into um silver stomach and he's like yeah really upset like it's just a quiet tin whistle and it's just it i mean it just adds so much to the film mm-hmm. i think this was like the first time like connor said this was the first time i noticed a soundtrack in a movie um this was the first soundtrack that i ever owned on cd it's literally in my car right now like i'm still listening to it <laughs> um i have the pieces memorized like i i can sing along to the soundtrack and like friends will get in my car and they'll be like what on earth is this i'm like <laughs> it's the best soundtrack ever leave me alone <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah it, i mean awesome. i have listened to it so much and it's so much a part of like i don't know i it's not like i i think about it every day but like it's just one of those scores that stays with you and you know it, it has such a huge impact on you yeah james newton howard is just a composer that really astounds me because he writes really good themes 
And he just he does a sound. He's known for doing soundtracks uh, really quickly, like writing them. Yeah, like five in a months. short period of time. Yeah, and and so like when I hear that, I would think, oh well, they're probably just like kind of place filler music. It's like no, these are really good soundtracks. Mm-hmm. Like it's amazing. I mean, the Village soundtrack is one of my oh. favorites of all time. Yes. Ever. Uh, yeah. I mean, Peter definitely Pan. in my top. Yeah. Yeah, definitely Peter in my top Pan. five. Yeah, mm-hmm. and Atlantis, dinosaur. Atlantis. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Signs yeah, is also a really great good. soundtrack. Mm-hmm. The Sixth Sense, all of that. Oh man. Yeah, I mean, Batman Begins. He did with Hans Zimmer. Right. Uh, so he was part of that duo. But yeah, I mean, he's an amazing composer. Mm. Uh, he's got a large body of work. He's done a lot of movies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Kind of a crazy, but, crazy uh, amount. But the, yet, there's definite themes that you can hear of his all throughout. But there, each of his soundtracks is different as well, which is something mm-hmm. I really appreciate because. There are some parts of this soundtrack that kind of I feel dip into Peter Pan, mm-hmm. especially whenever yeah. he has like Morph's theme of like the flitting um, flute. That I was like, oh, there's a scene or a song very a piece very much like that in Peter Pan of Tinkerbell kind of flitting around as well, and just a lot of the similarities, but it's not exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and he's about- got varying instrumentation sorry go ahead i was gonna say one thing about his scores that i've noticed is like he usually adds more modern sounds like he does add the electric guitar and he has like a lot of synth in his songs too you know and they i mean it just kind of sets them apart from like i mean also iconic john williams but it does it sets them apart and those are two of my favorite composers and they're you know they both have like the big you know overwhelming themes that you know you remember but there is something that sets James Newton Howard apart, and I think it's because he does add those those modern elements to his songs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's just got a really v- wide variety of instrumentation. Does a lot of different kinds of sounds, different kinds of music. Um, so yeah, he's definitely one of my favorites. Yeah, my faves. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever play the? There's um, another Treasure Planet video game that was kind of a sequel to the movie called Battle at Procyon. Did you ever play that one? I did because you had it and you let me borrow it. You oh, right. That? Oh, my gosh. Isn't Yeah, I love yeah. that game. That is an amazing was, game. Yeah, I think I just played it that once. But, yeah, I, I liked it. It was mm-hmm. cool. Yeah, because, uh, well, in that, um, I don't know how many years in the future it is, but Jim is like an admiral and, um, you know, Silver reappears in it. And he actually, I think he ends up, you know, saving the whole fleet in the end by sacrificing himself or something but that also had an amazing score to it as well like i i wish i could find a physical copy of it because it was also very ethereal and kind of fitted very well and great action music as well but yeah if you if you haven't played battle at procyon you should i want to put the link in the bio (laughs) because man that game was awesome you get to like command the fleet and you just see more of the world and it's awesome Mm. man yeah that's cool and it makes me think how you score a video game it's like yeah what are the differences in scoring a movie versus in scoring a tv show and video game be fun fun study to do yeah but huh that'd be interesting uh, yeah Yeah. before we talk about how we you know our changes that we'd make or other things i I also just have to bring up the teaser trailer because (laughs) this is this is my favorite teaser of all time i connor likes his teasers i i loved it like in the last two days prepping for this, I've probably watched it at least 10 times. Like, <laughs> oh man. It's it just because it's one of like my earliest memories of film. And I still remember the very first time, I can't even remember what VHS it was that I, I had rented, 
but just seeing the trailer for it and in 2000 and just being like this little kid and my jaw just dropping and like scooting myself forward and uh it has you know john williams far and away uh one of the themes from that and it um set to it it's just a concise teaser and i think that's like the perfect way to make it it was you show a lot of amazing things about it that piques people's interest, but you don't give too much of the story away because there's like no dialogue in it. There's like one or two lines, and yet it just like relies on you know you just seeing all of Jim surfing and mm-hmm. uh, the ship flying around, just all of these amazing things. And I just remember being so captivated by it, and still to this day, like every time I rewatch it, I'm transported to that moment almost like 20 years ago now of sitting in front of that television. And I'm just like there again. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, man. Making movie trailers is, it's, it's, it's changed a lot. Like, and there's an art to it. And I agree with you. Like you, you don't need to show too much. I feel like nowadays we're getting trailers that are just showing all like, they're showing all the big scenes. It's like, no, I want to go and see that in the theater. I don't want to, it's like I don't want to get it right now, you know. It's like they're giving it, they're giving it all away too soon, and uh, yeah, a well-executed trailer is a really good thing. And that's mm. similar to uh, to movie posters. I feel like movie posters should be extremely minimal. Uh, I have the movie poster to Tarzan, mm. uh, the original teaser, and it's so early that all it says on it is in cinemas nineteen ninety nine. So it didn't even have a like a release date on it yet. So. Uh, and I just love it because it's just a shot of Tarzan in the jungle, and he's a really small, uh, uh, really small figure, like way off in the distance, just on a branch. And it's just a really cool teaser because the artwork's really good, and it doesn't show you anything about what the movie's about. I mean, if you know Tarzan, you know what it's about. But um, all it shows is him just on a branch. And I just, I love how simple it is. Simplicity is another, another uh, really good feature that we should incorporate more into yes. into, into posters and trailers too you know yeah i actually hated treasure planet the first time i saw it um my family <laughs> my family uh makes fun of me a lot because when i was younger i was terrified of every single movie in the world um specifically treasure planet and monsters incorporated um i refused uh to watch them until i was like 13 and then i finally watched it and i was like okay this is like one of the best movies i've ever seen um mm. So it's just like that memory of rediscovering. And I was older, like, and I really, really appreciated it. Um, and I still hate Scroop to this day. But uh, <laughs> but uh, I, can, I can handle it now. I think I'm a little more brave. But yeah, my yeah. earliest memory of, uh, of Treasure Planet was just the, I mean, just the fear of like the realness of the characters, even though, you know, they're aliens and they, they look insane. But like, they just, they felt so real. And I was, I was literally terrified of them. But I have grown up since mm. then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Th- that is a good thing they do in this movie. It's like, how do you make, how do you animate an alien to look natural, while not having like any source material for it? And they do it so well for this. You know, like mm-hmm. you know, Scroop looks very natural. So does Mister Arrow and Amelia and Doppler and Silver and all of them. It's like, yeah, they look like they belong in that world. It doesn't. It's not too jarring where you're like, oh. Oh, that's that's kind of weird. Like they set up this world from the very beginning of having just a structure to it, where it's like, yeah, all of these crazy sea creature esque aliens are just incorporated into this world. Honestly, it's kind of weird that Jim is a human. He's yeah. like, <laughs> he's he's <laughs> like true. the only one with his mom, and you know, they're the only humans yeah. in the world. And you're like, well, you don't fit in. 
it always makes me laugh, me laugh when I hear the one of the shipmates who's like, it's like one of them's a head and one of them's the body, and then they oh, separate, yeah. you know. But then the one that has a really deep voice is the small head, and the one yeah. that has the high voice what is the big. <laughs> Just always makes me laugh every time. <laughs> um, and I love Scroop's voice. I think mm. he's got a great voice. Just the slowness and how he talks. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's like, is that clear? Transparent. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it doesn't seem like cheesy or like over the top or anything. Like it just fits no. so well. Mm-hmm. And they designed mm-hmm. that character really well uh, after. I, I felt like it was a good nod to one of the other villains in the book, Israel Hand, who uh, Jim has kind of like this final confrontation with whenever he gets back onto the ship and he ends up shooting him off of um, uh, the top or yeah, off of the sail. There's just like this description of him where it's like, you know, his face was as red as his stocking cap. And so like them making Scroop's face, I felt like was red was a a really good nod to that character as well and just kind of mm-hmm. showing all the little details that they incorporate into it as well i love how instead of being uh like thrown overboard like in the sea you just you go straight up instead and that's yeah. how you die <laughs> oh man which that's funny talking about being scared of movie well first off billy yeah. bones freaked me out as a kid but also yeah. the black hole scene Oh, whenever you see Arrow yeah. float away, that oh. scene haunted my nightmares yeah, for the same. longest that time. Was, that was mm. literally the worst moment for me. And I think that's what terrified me so much about Scroop is that, you know, he was the one that did that because, you know, he had had conflict with Mr. Arrow. And you're just like, how can you be such a terrible character? And then he just, like, yeah. turns around and blames it on Jim. And you're like, wow, you are the worst. <laughs> like, you are just the worst. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, like, at the time, whenever I watched this as a kid, I was, like, really getting into, like, space exploration and all that. And I I think I had just done, like, a book report on black holes. And I was like, that sounds like literally the worst thing in the world. So whenever I watched Treasure Planet and saw that, I was like, oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. Although that character, he didn't do a whole lot, but he wasn't in it for very long. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't really have a chance to be. (laughs) They needed someone. Good character, but. But I feel like he was important because they needed someone to be more villainous than John Silver. Because if he was the main villain, it would be a lot harder for you to love him in the end. Mm-hmm. Wait, villainous? You, are you talking about... Who are you talking about? Oh, Scroop. Oh, I was talking about Mr. Arrow. Oh, okay. Sorry. Yeah. So, Riley, would you do anything else to adapt it differently? or? Yeah. I like the changes that they did. Um, you know, like we've been saying this whole time, a, a good adaptation, it can either... I mean, you can still do a... A really faithful adaptation but when you twist it and put a different take on it i think that's sign of a really good adaptation um and so i really love what they did with the 70 30 rule with um incorporating the sci-fi in there as far as about uh what i would change i wish it was longer this movie felt mm. really short to me yeah and i think it's like an hour and a half which is typical but i think the first um the first the first half of the movie was really quick. Like, or the, just as we're introduced to all these people, they all happen really fast. I'm like, I wish they would kind of, they would have taken their time a little bit more, but again, it's a Disney movie. They need to stay around an hour and a half, if even less on, on average. But, uh, so it would have been cool to get more, I guess. And that might be the only comment I have just because I haven't really read it. And so I don't really know exactly what things I would have liked to have seen, but oh yeah, I would have liked maybe longer right i i would agree i would love to make it longer um i just think there's so much more you could have put into it but at the same time like 
yeah, I get that Disney has to keep it around, you know, that time. I I really appreciate just, I mean, like you said, kind of like the simplicity um, mm-hmm. to like some of it. And it is, it's like, it's a very straightforward story. You know, you're going to the island, but there is so much behind it. And like, just, I don't know, just the entire movie. I'm, I can't even like get my thoughts in order because I'm like, I'm thinking of all the elements that went into it and just like the excellence that went into it um, and how it all like got pieced together, like with the score, with the animation, you know, with the the setting. Um, Man, I don't know. I don't know if I could change anything. Um, And like I said, like I haven't read the book in a super long time, so I don't really know what's missing there. Uh, I love the adaptation, how they added kind of the father-son relationship with Jim and Silver. I just, I Mm. think that made the story more real for a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think that's the best addition that they did. Uh, It just brings a whole lot of heart to it, like you said, Riley. Uh, Mm -hmm. One thing I thought was kind of weird, just how they changed a lot of the names. Like, they keep Jim and they keep um, Silver and a couple other ones, but... You know, doctor. The doctor in the book isn't Doctor Doppler. He's Doctor Livesey. And then there's Captain mm-hmm. Smollett, and Mister Arrow has the same name, but like Israel Hands instead of like Scroop. And um, it's uh, yeah. yeah. I I don't know. I don't know why they made a lot of those changes. And there's like Squire Trelawney well, who isn't even in it at all. Hmm. Well, you know, names like Scroop. That's just a it's a very guttural sound. Scroop. <laughs> you know, it just sounds like a villain. I'm sure that's why they just. You gotta yeah. have, you gotta have a character like that that you can just. Yeah, it's such it's such a Scroop. villainous name. Yeah, Scrooge. Mm, yeah. yeah, it's it's so good. Yeah. I love what they did with Ben's name. Mm. How they made it an acronym yeah. for his robotic oh, yeah. self, what <laughs> bioelectronic navigator. Yeah, that is yep. so clever to me, and it's kind of like, um, you know, just the little nods to the novel, like the RLS legacy. Like the boat mm-hmm. is literally named for Robert Louis Stevenson. Yeah, you know, and mm-hmm. it's his legacy. And whenever I found that trivia fact, I was like, oh my gosh, they're so clever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. It's awesome. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, Riley, with you, I would agree that I, I do wish it would be longer. Uh, one thing, mm-hmm. one of my favorite parts of the book is Silver's attitude towards his crew, where in this they just kind of blindly follow him. But in the book, they're just like almost always like, oh, you're you're going too soft on the kid. We should elect a new leader and kill you. And so he kind of has to like dance back and forth oh, wow. and like appease them. And I thought that would have been a really fascinating point where you can empathize more with Silver because it's like, oh, he's fighting his own battles where, like, his own men yeah. are about to turn on him. And that would be interesting. I love that. And there's, like, this whole combat stuff where uh, whenever they're on the island where the doctor and the captain and uh, Squire Trelawney and Jim and a couple other of uh, the honest um, sailors all hole up in this old ship and they just kind of have this battle going back and forth between them and the other pirates and... Yeah, there's just like these cool kind of little things that I get because of like the conciseness of the movie that they had to cut out. But there's just like these all these little elements that could have been like peppered in more so or, you know, just like an extra line of dialogue or two that I think Mm. would have been would have been cool. You know, that's the unfortunate thing about making a movie is like whenever you've got to cut stuff, it's always those little details that get cut out because they're not like essential to the story. But it's like, that's kind of the stuff you want in. If, if you're a really big fan of the movie, it's like you want to see that stuff. But in order to make the movie more marketable, you kind of have to make some of those cuts. But mm-hmm. 
Well, I guess the marketing didn't work too well because nobody oh. went and saw this movie. I know. <laughs> I did, oh and it inspired me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm proud to have seen this in theaters, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I went with my dad. It was a lot of fun. Cherished memory. Um, but yeah, this was a huge bomb. Mm-hmm. Huge. Yeah. I mean, $140 million was the budget, and it only made like a like a hundred million yeah so um i thought it was like 70 million uh i thought it only i don't think so i think it was okay i think i just looked those numbers up okay Uh, i think it was i think the budget was like 170 mil Mm. uh with with advertising costs and right and um and it only made back 100 million so it was a pretty big loss yeah which i think (sighs) up until like either mars needs moms or john carter was like Disney's biggest box office mm-hmm. failure. Yeah. Oh yeah, pretty bad. Just such a shame. Awful. I know. It's like people people kind of mark this as like, well, it's like the end of the Renaissance, but the end of the Renaissance was uh, Tarzan was the last uh, movie in the Renaissance. But right. It's like people kind of mark this as the down downfall of Disney, but mm. this one was so good, and it should have been considered along with all those other ones. You yeah. Know? I say Home on the Range was the downfall of, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. of Disney. That's what it was that killed 2D animation. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. It mm-hmm. killed it. Killed it. Slaughtered it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's bad. Yeah. I, I'm hoping for another resurgence, like an Iron Giant-like resurgence, where people all yeah. of a sudden were like, oh, this movie is actually amazing, and no one noticed it back then. That's what I'm hoping for this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What does it take? Like, what do we have to do to get 2D back? I mean, what, do we need to sign a petition? I mean, let's do it. <laughs> right. Exactly. Like, I don't know. Let's I'll get a movement. Let's, let's, let's do something. Yeah. Let's but, start our own yeah. animation company. There you go. Yeah, let's do that. Let's yeah, do it. Definitely. We'll call it Rules of the... Of the frame well, 2. Well, no. <laughs> rules of the Frame 2. <laughs> we'll come up with a name. Anyway, you guys ready to get challenged? Yes. Oh, boy. Okay. This movie was nominated for Best Animated Feature at the mm-hmm. Oscars. Um, do you know what movie beat it? Okay, so this is 2002. Uh, was mm-hmm. that Finding Nemo? Incorrect. Oh. Nope. Or was Finding Nemo... Oh, wait a second. Oh. No. Do you follow the Oscars much, Claire? No, not really. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, mm. you know what? I feel like I did know this at one point, though, um, mm. because I was so hurt that it didn't win, because this is you know, quickly become one of my favorite movies. As much as I love this movie, I'm actually really happy that what one did win. Hmm. And I do have, if you want a multiple choice, I can give that. Yeah. But I feel like you should, you can get this. I know. I know I can. Cause I know if you say the multiple choice, then it's going to be like, Oh <laughs> duh, it's this. Well, yeah. I feel like it has to be a Pixar movie then. Nope. It isn't. Mm-mm. I'll give you one more hint. It was the first movie of its kind to be nominated or to win an award like this to win an academy award he doesn't want to give up (laughs) i don't know because i think i know what it is but i don't want to get it wrong let's do multiple choice it's either a shrek b monsters incorporated c ice age or d spirited away spirited away yeah it has to be spirited away yeah that's what i thought okay (laughs) (laughs) yeah that was the first anime anything to ever win an academy award so right it's kind of monumental. At the time of release, Treasure Planet was the most expensive animated film ever made. Which film held that title before Treasure Planet? We have A, Anastasia, 
B, Tarzan, C, Monsters Incorporated, or D, Mulan? I'm going to say Tarzan. Very good. You got it. Nice. Yeah, so Tarzan was $130 million. Jeez. Which was a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, that's a lot. Even now, it's like... Still quite a bit. For, for for an average movie, it's like... Well, today our standard is kind of the superhero blockbuster, which are right. kind of around 185 to $200 million, But, mm-hmm. you know, that's still a lot of money. That's still a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then Anastasia was five, uh, for was $50 million. Right. Monsters, Inc. was $115 million. And Mulan was ninety million. Mm. Oh, go Anastasia! Yep. Way to be cheap. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty sure Tarzan was so expensive because of the deep canvas. Oh, I yeah. know. Oh yeah, yeah. That's what I was thinking of. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So, uh, Disney originally planned to co-produce this movie with another animation studio. Do you know what the studio was? Yeah, shoot. What was it? It's some. It's not like a major studio. I remember just reading about this. The name is kind of weird too, right? Uh, I mean, I don't know if I can really answer that, but. Uh, uh, and actually, I'm sorry, but I didn't have time to do multiple choice on this one. Oh no. Because <laughs> I I remember reading this and I was like, I've never even heard of this thing. I mean, I can do multiple choice if I come up with it on my head right now. No, that's just going to give it away. <laughs> maybe just... maybe you just have to lose this one. Oh, <laughs> my gosh. It's a big ouch. <laughs> you did so well the other, on the Blade Runner one. I want to say it was something like A-B-E-F or something like that. Like, was it a list of, like, a couple letters or something? Um, there were letters involved. I mean, yes, like, the way you're thinking, yes, there were letters like that. There's no way I'm going to remember what those letters are. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You want to give it one last guess? The main thing, the, the first word of this is something that occurs in nature. Rain? Nope. Okay. Well, close. Thunder? No. Just say it. Yeah. I'll just say it. Okay. <laughs> uh, rainbow. S-P-A. Oh. Rainbow S-P-A. Yeah. I've yeah. never heard of that before. I had never heard of it either. <laughs> Until today, that's the one I just looked up. <laughs> but oh man, um, yeah, like everything that I looked up on them, I had never seen before or heard of. It's an Italian animation studio. And for your challenge, you can get this. List all of the Roger Clemens and John Musker collaborations. Okay. So the first one was the Great Mouse Detective. Mm-hmm. And then there was the Little Mermaid. Mm-hmm. Then Aladdin. Mm-hmm. Then, was it Hercules after that? Or yes. Or am I missing one? Okay. No, that's right. Okay, and then Treasure Planet. Mm-hmm. And then Princess and the Frog. Mm-hmm. And then Moana, right? Nice. Clean sweep. Woo! <laughs> Very good. Yeah, they pitched this back uh, whenever they did Little Mermaid, too. They were saying, okay, let's either make Little Mermaid or Treasure Planet back in the yeah, 80s i mean they were trying to get this done a long time ago but they kept getting denied and then whenever they agreed to do hercules they only agreed to do it on the condition that they could do treasure planet right afterwards mm-hmm. <laughs> they just they were really passionate about treasure planet yeah <laughs> as they should have been yeah so, yeah i mean i think treasure planet's better than hercules than uh, little mermaid at least yeah but 
Um, yeah. So, good job. Thank you. You did good on that. Yeah. I guess cool. that concludes our episode. It does. Yeah. Yeah. Another strange adaptation. Another one. Yeah. yeah. Strange but great. Do you want to tease the next episode? Uh, yes, I do. Uh, crap. Good tease. Our, good tease. Our next episode is um, Akira Kurosawa's Ron, which is a samurai adaptation of Shakespeare's King Lear. Never read King Lear or seen this movie, so mm. you're in for a treat. For me. Thank you so much, Claire, for being here. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Thanks, Claire. So much fun. I it's a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. So fun. Mm-hmm. We'll definitely have to yeah. bring you again. Come back again. Yeah. yeah, feel yeah. free. We'll give a shout out to uh, John Skinner for the graphic that he has blessed us with, and to Caden Reed and Luke Hogan for the music that they have blessed. Some choice us with tunes. As well. mm-hmm. Yeah, good people. <laughs> good people. Mm-hmm. All right, guys. Until next time. I'm Connor Reed. Oh, wait, no. This has oh. been oh. Film Analysis for a Modern Audience. Nice. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs>